Hello, hello. As I shared in our last episode, we are going to be spending the next few episodes talking about the mental health ramifications of running an online business, of feeling like you need to be on the internet all the time, and dealing with the uh, stress and overwhelm of feeling like you need to do all the things. And so the first person that I wanted to have on in this little mini series is my friend Shula. Uh, Shula Mitberlevtov is known around the internet as the entrepreneur therapist, and she's the co-founder of the Business Therapy Center. So she's really well-grounded and understanding about the unique stresses that come along with running a business. And she helps her clients who are women entrepreneurs and solopreneurs to manage their mindset, to build more resilience in the way that they approach things, to overcome anxiety and isolation of running a business. Um, She's also has 27 years as an entrepreneur and 20 years supporting women's mental health. Uh, She's a licensed trauma therapist. She's been a yoga teacher uh, and she really brings a really unique approach to this. And so I absolutely, when I thought about who I wanted to have on for this series, Shula was the first person who came to mind. Uh, She's really great at explaining fairly complex ideas in ways that feel actionable and can help us understand what are the steps that we need to be taking in order to not just feel overwhelmed all the time or, you know, guilt trip ourselves about the ways that we're behaving, but what are some ways that we can start to change that behavior and feel better about the ways that we're showing up for our businesses, for our clients, for our families and building lives that are meaningful and valuable and important to us. You're listening to Social Slowdown, a podcast for entrepreneurs and micro-businesses looking for sustainable marketing strategies without being dependent on social media. Social media is a double-edged sword. It's a wonderful way to stay connected, but it also can feel like an addictive obligation. And it's even more complex for businesses. Your audience might be right there, but you've got to fight with algorithms to maybe be seen by them. So whether you want to abandon social media altogether or you just want to take a month off, it's possible to have a thriving business without being dependent on social media. This podcast is all about finding creative, sustainable ways to engage with your audience without needing to lip sync, send cold DMs, run ads, or be available 24-7. Let's get started. Hello, Shula. I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for being on the Social Slowdown podcast. Thanks for asking me. I love I love our freewheeling conversations. I just can't wait to get started. I know. I feel like I've learned so much from you over our years of working together, and I'm thrilled to be able to share you with the audience. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how... We'll start with this. How do you make money? How do people work with you? Let's start there. <laughs> Thank you for asking. So I'm the entrepreneur's therapist. And the majority of my work right now is one-to-one with women entrepreneurs who want to uplift their mindset and pilot their emotions, like be in charge of their emotions so that they can overcome the anxiety and isolation of running a business because the emotions, as you know, it's like a, it's a roller coaster of up and down. And that emotional dysregulation really has an impact on our CEO self, on our capacity to do the things we want to do in our businesses. So I'm here to be your emotional support Canadian, your emotional <laughs> support therapist um, as you're running your business because it's tough. Yeah, let's talk. You said specifically the anxiety and the isolation of running a business and how that leads to both emotional dysregulation and then also like 
it makes it hard for you to have that executive functioning skill. So tell me a little bit about the the experience that you're hearing from people about the anxiety and isolation. So in my work, I've identified seven factors or six factors rather of risk to mental health for entrepreneurs. So we'll have the link to that blog in the show notes. And the one, when I share this information, the one that people respond to the most is the isolation factor. Yes. And like the isolation that we experience as entrepreneurs is really, there are so many dimensions to it. Uh, And before I unpack that, I just, I want to say why isolation is a threat to mental health. On a very visceral level, we are mammals, right? (laughs) Like I shouldn't say visceral, it's actually in the brain, but we have this memory of ourselves as communal, as uh, connected with our fellows, and a time when if we weren't within the safety of our community, we were at risk of dying, Mm -hmm. right? So right away, isolation brings up this primordial feeling of uh, vulnerability, and therefore fear and risk, right? So that's how isolation has an impact on our mental health. That's kind of like the direct link. But the facets of our isolation are so complex because, first of all, as entrepreneurs, there aren't a lot of us, so it's hard to find fellows, right? As women entrepreneurs, even though the online world, there's a proliferation of women entrepreneurs in the online world, uh, it's still significantly less than men. And in person, in real life, to find peers is also very difficult because the women women entrepreneurs are not not there are not great numbers of us but then the fact that we have to work the way we work that we are the sole person responsible means that we have less time available to socialize and or less capacity to socialize so not only do we have a small pool our the amount of time and energy we have to devote to connecting with that small pool or finding somebody even is limited and then on top of that we are surrounded by people, but these are people, clients and our contractors or employees for whom we are holding space. Mm. And so we are there for them. They are not there for us. Yeah. Right. So we find ourselves surrounded by people and yet with an experience of aloneness. Yeah. Even when I have a crappy day in the, but if I have a whole, you know, lineup of client calls, I'm not going to just sit and cry to my clients when I'm supposed to show up and be professional, or I'm not going to say to my team, like, sorry, I can't get you that thing. So that way you can't do your work because I have a headache. I will, I will set that boundary, but you know, like it's hard to the people that we're interacting and engaging with the most, we have transactional relationships with. That's not to say they're entirely transactional, but they're giving me money or, you know, my clients are giving me money or I I'm giving money to my my team, so I don't want to be seen as weak or unprofessional or not put together in some ways. You kind of have to show up and perform in those relationships, even with your best clients, even with your most supportive teammates. There's still a level of professionalism that happens in those conversations that isn't, you know, what you would bring to your therapist. <laughs> yeah, and I would, I would, I would kind of tweak the language a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. because in the way that I see it, um, there is a level of transparency of like being explicit about what's going on with me and, and inviting my clients or my contractors or employees that we check in with one another at the beginning of an interaction, but it's a check-in. It's not a space holding. 
right? Mm. And so I'm not performing. I will be transparent with someone. I'm not, I'm not my best today. Or, mm, you know, uh, it's been a difficult week. It, world events have had an impact on me. And we sort of state it and acknowledge it so that it's out here in front of us instead of between us. So it's not per se a performance, but it, but at the same time, again, it's a quality of professional space holding that we mm-hmm. hold either as uh, consultants for our clients or as leaders for our employees or contractors that requires a kind of like parking of these things. Mm. It's not, it's just not the place for them to be there in their wholeness, right? So we, we're transparent about them. We state them, we lay them out, and then we go on to the business at hand, mm-hmm. which is still, it's still like you still have that weight and it needs to find a place where it can be fully held. And this is not the spot for that. Right. And so that isolation yeah. can definitely be yeah. pressing down on us, even when we're on, you know, Zoom fatigue is real, right? <laughs> like Even when we're on calls all day or checking in with people or emailing people and having those touch points all the time, it can still be exhausting to yeah. feel like you, you have to show up in a certain way. And you're even though, even when I have a day of client meetings, I'm still alone in my office with my dog. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I'm not able to hug that person. And yeah. 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 We're alone with our emotional management and that's very heavy. Yeah. And so what are some, some suggestions that you have for people who are feeling that isolation and maybe also some of the anxiety around the, the decision-making process of being a leader or being in a client facing relationship where you have to be making those decisions. What are some ways that you help your clients to cope with that emotional dysregulation? So I'm going to pause. Breathing is a good choice. I think I think you're demonstrating the answer here. (laughs) Just pausing and taking a moment. So there are like I teach a two pronged approach. One is on the fly, like you've seen me do here. And then what's what you do on the fly is supported by what you do as a regular formal structured practice. Mm-hmm. So outside of when stuff comes up, there are ways in which we can support our nervous systems and our and just our general resilience. Uh, in particular, I teach three principles of stress resilience, soothe, discharge, and nourish. Mm-hmm. And these are experiences that you can offer your nervous system. And again, I have a blog post about this, so we'll put the link in the show notes so that people can go in depth on that. But the general principle is that, as you know, talking to yourself when you're stressed out, oh, stop, don't worry, don't be anxious, it'll be all right, uh, doesn't work, right? So outside of when the crap is hitting the fan, to offer ourselves experiences of soothing, experiences that nourish us, and experiences that enable us to discharge both physiologically and emotionally what has built up in us as a result of the stress that we experience, um, that lays the groundwork. It it, uh, lowers the baseline activation of the nervous system and puts us within our window of tolerance so that when shit hits the fan, instead of freaking out and, and going out of our window of tolerance and then like flipping our lid and blowing our stack, right? Yelling at somebody or something that we, we feel the activation, but we stay within our window of tolerance so that it's manageable. So the day-to-day practices kind of keep us in floating in that middle area. Uh, and then so that when the crap hits the fan, because you don't pop out of your window of tolerance and lose your cool, you can just like I did now, because I mean, I'm a little activated. This is, we're, we're doing a podcast interview. It's a 
it's um, a demanding experience, mm-hmm. right? But I'm not outside of my window of tolerance. When you asked me that question, I didn't freak out and cry, right? I said, <laughs> I'm just going to pause for a moment and sort things out inside. And the capacity to do that is supported by the fact that my nervous system is is within my window of tolerance. It's up a little, right? But it's still within what I can handle. And that's because of what I do outside of this uh, situation of being on, right? So it's kind of like, you know, when you're working on something long term, you need to have that daily plan. If you're thinking like, I want to get really good at clean eating, I want to have a like a really good diet. So that way I feel better. And so every day, you're doing the green smoothies, and you're, you know, cutting out gluten, if it doesn't feel good in your body, and you have that baseline of health. And then there are going to be those times where you go to the party, and you're like, man, I just want to eat all the chocolate cake. (laughs) Right? And you're going to have that time where you step outside of that window. And the rest of the time when you're feeling good, it kind of makes up for it a little bit. It's not like you're always going to feel like crap by eating crappy food. (laughs) Is that a good metaphor here? Do you have a different metaphor that would be a better fit for this? Well, I like the idea that you're uh, implicit in what you said is this idea of balance, Mm -hmm. of like trusting that our organism knows what it's doing and offering what it needs to be supported in order to self-manage. Um, and so like to tie it into the way that, that I teach about this, I teach about create that, you know, we, as entrepreneurs, we have, uh, we all have business plans, right? And part of our business plan is a financial plan and a marketing plan among others. And I would propose that we need a mental health plan as an inherent part of our business plan as well. And so in the mental health aspect of our business plan, we have to identify our key performance indicators for our mental health. These are the lag and lead indicators. And so a lead indicator is what you do, the action you take. And the lag indicator is the impact of that action. So our lead indicators are things like you've said, my self-care practices like meditation, uh, movement, uh, social connection, having a therapist who where I can do my emotional processing, uh, making sure that I eat what works for my body, making sure that I have sleep. Those are all our lead indicators. And so it helps to identify and know what those are so that just like you check in on your lag and lead indicators in your business on a regular basis, you check in with them, your mental health ones on a regular basis, so that when your lag indicators, which we might call symptoms, for example, I'm not sleeping well, I'm Mm. snapping at others, Uh, my digestion is not working well. Um, you know, you have a chance to check in with yourself and you see that these lag indicators are how they're performing or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you can go, okay, well, where are my lead indicators these days? And you look back and you see, oh, well, I noticed that I've really been not moving away from my desk at all this week because it was a very demanding week. And I notice that, um, I've been skipping lunch to work through. And, and you look at the lag indicators and you're like, well, duh, no wonder, because look at what I've been doing with my lead indicators. And it's no wonder then that these are the results I'm getting. So how can I tweak my lead indicators? Where do I need to kind of recommit to myself on, on the lead indicators for my mental health so that I can get a better outcome on my lag indicators? And it's that identifying what they both are. And so soothe, discharge, and nourish play up. Those are kind of lead indicators. What am I doing to soothe my organism? What am I doing to nourish my organism? And what am I doing to discharge emotionally and physiologically? 
if you itemize what those are, those are your lead indicators. And then your symptoms, everybody knows what's going on when they're feeling crappy. That's easy to identify. And you check in with those on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think also as entrepreneurs, to a great extent, especially if we are selling something that is based on our knowledge, which is true for both you and I, it's like our brains are our biggest assets in our businesses, um, both as leaders and creators and communicators. And if we're not creating a a routine or ritual or some sort of daily structure around whatever works, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm grimacing as I hear you say this. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I haven't been to the gym in a month, (laughs) you know, and I feel it in my body. I feel it when I lay down at night that I have this restlessness Um, and recognizing that even though sometimes the gym takes me out of my desk time, it will make the rest of my desk time more productive if I build it into the plan for the week. And it has to be proactive in nature. And in the same way, when I, I've noticed that for myself, one of my lag indicators, trying to remember what just said, one of one of the things that I do when I get stressed out is I go to the doom scroll. It's like, let me sit down on the couch with a glass of wine and just like scroll through Instagram and see what's up, you know? And it's not an intentional choice. It's like, a, a, okay, the kids are finally asleep. I don't have the mental capacity to even watch TV. I just need the like, it's not even like the dopamine. I just need like the the mindlessness of this. Yes. You know, I'm not looking yes. for input at that point. I just want to sit and watch some funny TikTok videos and shut it down. Um, and I've definitely seen that as that's an indicator to me that I'm not doing enough for myself, but I see it regularly. <laughs> like after a launch, when I'm in that like launch hangover period and I need more uh, recovery time, I definitely feel myself picking up my phone more and leaning into those mindless practices. So tell me about kind of what to do when you find yourself in those moments of um, this is not a behavior that feels good, but it feels good. <laughs> So um, first of all, I want to appreciate the um, wisdom of our organisms that lead us to do these kinds of things. We relate to them as relaxing, but I would invite you to consider that it's more numbing than relaxing. Mm. Uh, It's a kind of a disconnect or dissociative or numbing kind of thing that things are just too overwhelming. And so our organism reaches for what it knows to do in order to just numb out from the overwhelm. Right. And like, we do need some times out from these things because like overwhelm just leads to collapse and that's okay. Like that's our organism trying to do its very best for us. And so if you find yourself in that kind of numbing out, you know, drinking, eating more than you would like watching Netflix more than you would like doom scrolling more than you would like, and you kind of realize, oh, that's what's happening. I would invite you to say to yourself, oh, I notice that my organism is trying to help me manage this. Like I'm noticing I'm numbing out. And that means that things are too much for me. And and wow, I'm just appreciating how like my organism is just leading me to this place, trying to keep me safe and okay, trying to help me modulate something that feels like too much. Mm-hmm. 
Because what our first impulse is to criticize, oh, geez, look at me. I've been doom scrolling. What the heck? What's the matter with me? I know better than this. Put your phone down. Right? Like, and that kind of self-talk actually makes things worse. So yeah. the first thing is, is to just really validate, wow, my organism is just so wise. Look at it trying to help me. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is to uh, appreciate that, yes, things are actually overwhelming and no wonder I'm having a hard time. And these two gestures of self-kindness can really go a long way to kind of giving you this little like, oh, like this little exhalation. Yeah. Yeah. That self-compassion of like, this is, this is my body. This is my brain protecting me. Yes. A hundred percent. And then that self-kindness is emotionally regulating. And so at that point, when we've had some kind of emotional regulation, where we've, we've kind of like, oh yeah, we sort of wake up a little bit and we've sort of exhaled a little bit, then we can consider, right. So I'm overwhelmed. What could I do to support myself? What's hard is that if you don't already have a plan and a repertoire of lead indicators, then you've got a problem solve in the moment. And that's really hard. But if you know already, what are the things that help me? You can just go to your list and pick one. Yeah. You don't have to brainstorm in the moment. They're actually teaching this to my first grader at school. There's so much social emotional learning going on right now that they're like, okay, what zone of regulation are you in? If you're at yellow, how do you get back to green and knowing what works for you? So there are things that I used to prompt him to do where I'm like, hey, bud, take some deep breaths. And he would struggle with that. And I realized that when he's in that state, he needs to move. So I'll say, bud, like go do three laps around the house and then two chair pushups because his body is so tight when he's in those moments, whereas for for me, breathing is like, I need to come back into my body. He needs to like explode his body, knowing that those are those different ways that people behave or react to the same approximate feelings of I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling concerned. Our reaction needs to be based on what works to bring ourselves back to, uh, you know, the, the green zone, if we're talking zones of regulation. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's it's very idiosyncratic. And this is why I teach the three principles of stress resilience, as opposed to saying, spe- as opposed to specific strategies, because mm-hmm. only you know what is soothing to you. Only you know what is nourishing to your body, mind, and soul. Only you know what gives you that emotional release or that physiological release. And only you know which of those three principles apply at any given moment. And that's why the the general idea of like, just go take a bubble bath. Just go get a pedicure. Like if you hate a bubble bath, why would you do that? But that's, you know, like, I I don't like people touching my feet. Pedicures make me very uncomfortable. So whenever that's the advice, I'm like, oh, gross. Like that, it gives me more anxiety to take some of that advice. (laughs) Yeah, it's really important to respect your body. And um, that's where the the kind of like, um, what's the word? Popular understanding that yoga and meditation and deep breathing and bubble baths are good for you. Well, it's, it just so depends on the person. Yeah. So knowing that there's going to be tension in our lives, knowing that there are going to be things that come up that don't feel good, what are some protective mechanisms we can put into place from the beginning of this? And I'm thinking specifically about, you know, all of us that are 
probably not all of us, many of us who are listening to this podcast, we're running our own businesses. We're living in this kind of online marketing community. And I started this podcast because I kept hearing people say like, oh, social media is so draining. It's so overwhelming. It is one of those um, actions that we feel obligated to take, but then it can take over and it can kind of steamroll us. So do you have any suggestions having worked with entrepreneurs who are feeling this marketing overwhelm for how to establish, I don't want to say rules, maybe boundaries, maybe protective mechanisms. What are some ways that we can prevent ourselves from falling into the uh, the downfalls of this and instead build up some of that resilience that we need in order to conquer the tasks? <laughs> I think critical thinking is really um, kind of like the precursor to it all. I'll tie this to my, I'll share a little bit about my own journey around social media and marketing over the past two years. Um, you know, because the predominant advice, you know, is market, 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 and they might say, find out where your people are and then, um, market, 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 where your people are, like be more strategic in that way. However, I really, it was a revelation to me when I learned in the fall that there are two different kinds of marketing. I feel silly saying this because it's so obvious now that I see it, but is that there's traffic based and there's relationship based. Yeah. And traffic, that social media is traffic-based marketing. And so the funnel model, you've got to have many, many, many people at the top of your funnel because it works percentage-wise all the way down. And so like if 3% or 4% buy from your newsletter, that means you've got to have hundreds of thousands on your newsletter, which means you've got to have millions at social media level. And like in order to be able to have that level, you either yourself have to do more time marketing your business than you do serving your clients, or you have to have significant funds and a significant structure to carry that mechanism, that huge mechanism for you. And once I realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm not a like traffic based marketing is not even the right thing for my business. And I Mm -hmm. uh, understood what relationship-based marketing was and started working on that instead. Um, First of all, it's much more connecting. It's much more interpersonal. It's a reciprocal kind of relationship where um, it's a kind of collaborative and helping one another out. So it's very connecting. Whereas social media, even though as a mental health therapist and 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 a client of therapy all my life, Still, I look at social media and go, well, eep, look at them, eep, oh my God, eep, I'm doing terrible, eep, I should be doing, like, eep being the F word, you know, like, it just, (laughs) the comparisonitis just really gets to me, even though I know that it's not true, there's a part of me that still runs that script, And so letting go of that entirely and looking at media, social media for me as kind of like ground cover so that when people encounter me, you know, there is like, if you don't have a website these days, or if you don't have social media these days, it it, it can elicit doubt for people. So I have, I have social media there in order to show that, yes, my store is open, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that yes, I'm still alive, that this is not some, something somebody threw up five years ago and, and it's not really active. But the the bulk of my work is uh, as, you know, SEO through working with you and doing relationship-based marketing. And I find that those reduce the noise. And I think that that's really 
So we have, first of all, critical thinking, and then second of all, reducing the noise, uh, reducing the inputs around um, that are likely to stimulate my thinking around comparison and not good enough really make a big difference to my mental health. I can't tell you what a relief it is to hear that even therapists are dealing with that inner critic and imposter syndrome and all the things that those of us who do not have years of mental health training and working other people through it, like it still is triggering in so many ways for you. Um, it's a human, it's a human experience. Yeah. It's and human. I love that recognition really that you made. Say. It's just so important to say that it's human. Yeah, it really is. You know, all of us are going through it. This isn't specific to yes. entrepreneurs. This isn't specific to women. This isn't specific to just those of us that are feeling insecure today. Every single person on this planet feels that imposter complex. Every single person feels the comparisonitis. And, and social media just amplifies that because when you're in a conversation with somebody one-to-one, you're talking, and I just read this stat yesterday, you're talking about yourself 30% of the time. But when you're on social media, you're talking about yourself typically 80% of the time. And so you're getting these intimate details about what's happening in people's lives or what's happening in their businesses, because we're told that that's how you sell. But really, like, you're oversharing and making other people wonder what, it, compare it against what they have. But you, you don't share everything about your life on social media. You're creating a, a very performative front of what you want people to know, but not the whole picture. And that can be dysregulating as you're going through it, especially if you're not feeling like you're in a resilient and safe mindset when you're going into that. If you're going into it feeling insecure, and then other people are going, look at this business I created. I got to seven figures in seven days and you're like, damn it, how come I can't do that? Every one of us feels that, man. Yeah. And it, it's, um, we're comparing our real life experience, warts and all, to a very curated, and, I, and I'm not, like, I'm not slamming it because I do, I think we as professionals and leaders, we are committing ourselves to showing up in a way that is supportive and holding space for others. And like, if I'm actively bleeding all over the place, that's not helpful to anybody. So right. it's not that I'm performing by not actively bleeding all over the place. It's having good boundaries to say, okay, I have a place to bleed. Yeah. That's with my therapist. I'm going to barf and bleed, you know, with my therapist. But when I'm holding <laughs> space for others, I can talk about how I barfed and bled with my therapist, but I don't, I'm not actually barfing and bleeding in the moment when I'm you know, after but you have I recovered am. from it, once the bleeding yes. has been staunched, then you can talk about how you bled, but going through it yes. and like sharing in the moment, how you're feeling can actually trigger more trauma, right? Like it can be even more difficult for other people to watch. It can take longer for you to process the emotions. Whew. Yeah. And so I, as a barfing, bleeding human come to uh, social media and see the, the the careful space holding of others. And I compare my barfing, bleeding self to these carefully contained people who are like, let's say in this particular respect, further ahead from me. And that's appropriate for them. But, but it just so I, I compare my beginnings to their ends. And then I tell, I talk shit to myself about myself and that just doesn't help. Right. No, absolutely not. And I loved your recognition that like, I work with people one to one. 
I don't need to have 100,000 people coming to my website every month to get one client. That would be a terrible conversion rate. It would be easier for me to do relational outreach, to ask my existing clients who they know, to ask the people that I work with if they know anybody in this situation, to, you know, get onto other people's podcasts and share what you know, you know, just tapping into who you know and getting that, um, kind of seal of approval from your existing network, as opposed to feeling like you have to go prove yourself to people who are just stumbling onto your accounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, again, it, it's a sense of connectedness, of reciprocal support that is a an entirely, to feel held by people who care for you, n- not necessarily clients, but in networking in its largest sense of relationship building with other professionals. You, I have, in fact, one of the... Um, practices that I've been working on for the past five, six months is called a field of care meditation, where we first come into our breath and body and then call to mind all the individuals we know who care for us, who are actively out there seeking our good. Friends, it could be friends, it could be family, but it could also be the person who referred somebody to you. And calling to mind this sense of like, there is actually a field, a great field of care present mm. in this world. I'm getting choked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, today's kind of a rough day uh, emotionally. Uh, I'm feeling kind of like worried because of the invasion in Ukraine, you know, and it's been difficult because of the the um, alt-right and fascistic uprise that has been happening in Canada recently. So that helps uh, when I feel scared, then I feel alone. Right. So it really helps. And I'm making this wide open gesture with my arms as I talk about this, because it's kind of like a heart opening feeling in my body to call Mm -hmm. to mind this network of care, this network of people who are holding me in one way or another. Um, And taking time to connect with that and feel that in my body now um, is the opposite of what happens when I go on social media, right? Where I shut down, get small, feel scared, c- comparing. So this and and networking as a strategy for building our business actually opens this field of care, right? And opens us into this sense of like, oh, maybe there's reciprocity out there for me. Oh, maybe uh, there's something that I can contribute. Maybe there's someone who cares about me who can, uh, ha- we can hold one another up. And it's just a completely different experience. Yeah, I feel like this is very complementary in a lot of ways to like a loving kindness meditation where, but instead of feeling like you're sending positive energy and feeling out into the world and to those specific people, instead you're feeling that complementary feeling of getting that positive energy coming in from them. And, you know, the, the, the like yoga teacher woo woo in me is like, yeah, that's got to feel good. It can fill you up. But then there's also the marketer in me who's like, this is a really good exercise to do to get into this space of receiving support before you go and pitch yourself somewhere, before you go and do some shoulder tapping out to your network, before you um, are going out and making asks, make sure to get that feeling of being 
open to receiving from other people and not feeling like you're a burden on them for asking for help or not feeling like, oh, it's just going to be another affiliate request that I'm making. But it's like thinking of this as a reciprocal and thinking of it as a, a network of they're helping me, I'm helping them, all of us are growing together. I'm not alone. I can tap into these relationships. I can feel supported. I can give support. And in doing so, we are all helping each other to grow more, whether that's, you know, me saying to you, do you know anybody who needs more leads for their business? And then you saying to me, do you know anybody who's struggling with anxiety? Like these don't always have to be complimentary services that we're using for these partnerships and referral relationships. But tapping into what are the strengths? Who are these people serving? What are the problems they solve? And when you're having those relationships and conversations with your colleagues, with your clients, with your team, being able to make those referrals and to feel like those people can help you when they're making referrals to you. That's such a powerful visual for me of, of all of the people holding you up in your business, in your personal life, in all of the ways that you need support to be willing and open to receiving is so powerful. Yes, it is powerful. And it is exactly complementary to the, to the, um, I forget what I'm having brain fire, but once loving we kindness, that receiving, yes, the loving kindness, yeah. once we're full, we can then breathe it out. Like we mm. breathe in the care for us and breathe out our care for them. It's, it's reciprocal, right? It's not one or the other. The two practices complement each other very powerfully. And when we're in this space, like woo, woo wise, when we're in the heart <laughs> space, but neurophysiologically, when we're in the parasympathetic nervous system response, the rest and digest phase, we then, our CEO self, we can access our capacity for creativity and problem solving. So when we're in this expansive place, we have we can have all kinds of creative ideas about how we can network, what we can offer, how I can market. It just, it opens so much possibility. I love that. I feel like that's maybe my takeaway from this whole conversation, even though I, I've learned so much is like, having some visualizations and some meditations around not just who can I tap into for my network, but who is in my network that is supporting me and creating those relations. Oh man, I, I'm getting choked up. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's powerful. You stop to feel it. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe I just need some more coffee. I don't know. It might be one or the other. <laughs> Well, um, that was so incredibly helpful. Um, any final thoughts or things that you want to share with this group of people who are trying to market themselves in ways that feel good and sustainable and supported and not necessarily on social unless that's part of their plans? Well, my big thing, the thing that is transformative for so many of my clients and so many of the people I talk to is this idea that there's nothing wrong with you. Hmm. That if you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, that it's human and that it's in quotation marks normal and that the fact that it's difficult and the fact that you're struggling does not by implication mean there's something the matter with you. That what we as entrepreneurs are trying to do is big. Yeah. This is big work and big work is hard. Yeah. And, and as a population, we are more risk tolerant and therefore putting ourselves out there more. And as such, to an extent, we need to take better care of ourselves because we are making those big decisions and big choices. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so when you're having a hard time to be able to say to yourself, wow, of course I'm having a hard time. This is big work. Yeah. There's nothing the matter with me. This is what we all, this is, this is hard work because it's meaningful work. And the recognition that some days are going to be better than others. Yeah. Some days are going to be easy and some are not. And productivity is not an ever upwards um, trajectory. It is some days are going to be super productive and some days you're going to have to step away. And that's okay too. That's part of the, the recovery cycle that we all are going through all the time. Stepping through stepping back is a win. Yeah. It's soothing, nurturing. What, what were the three? Soothe? Soothe, nourish, and discharge. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And how can people find you if they want to get on your email list and learn more about what you do or work with you? What's the best way for people to connect with you? They can start with my website, shula.ca. .ca because I'm Canadian. Woo-woo, go Canada. I know. I heard you say process. They know. S-H-U-L-A dot C-A. Yeah. All right. Thank you so, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Meg. Thank you so much for listening to the Social Slowdown Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or come on over to socialslowdown.com and sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. We'd also love if you could write a review to help other small business owners find the show. You can head over to socialslowdown.com slash review or grab that link in our show notes for easy access. We'll be back soon with more tips to help you market your business without being beholden to social media. Talk to you then.